Welcome to a brand new episode of Shellheads, a TMNT podcast. I'm here with fellow Shellhead, Jeff. Greetings. I'm Sergio, the reality breached guy. Uh, we're here to talk about Ninja Turtles. Unlike last episode when we were here to talk about Ninja Turtles. Right, right. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, what, was the la- what was the last time we talked about? We talked about 2K3 last, right? Yeah, the uh, other half of season one. That's right. Oh, yeah, and we went through a whole story arc on the show that we hadn't read through on the comics yet, and I was all butthurt because yeah. my headcanon was broken. But it's a little jumbled and way jumbled from what i found out yes like super jumbled it is very jumbled like, there's Absolutely. pieces here that don't happen till way later in the show and i'm like wait what uh-huh. Ooh, i mean that's nice placement but i'm like ooh, yeah, yeah 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 you're absolutely right so it's not my fault no it's not no <laughs> we're gonna talk about comics today most specifically we're gonna talk about the original Mirage run of comics. Mm-hmm. And we're going to kind of jump around a little bit. Um, we're going to cover what is widely considered the main canon of the original Mirage run. And this will be the third time we've done that. Mm-hmm. Um, this time we're jumping around a lot more than we have before. Ooh. Uh, we're going to cover Volume 1, Issues 12, 14, 15, 17, 19, 20, and 21. That is a bit of a jumble. Yeah, it's it's seven issues uh, that were released over a period of two years. And the reason that we're skipping certain issues is because uh, those issues are not directly produced by either Eastman or Laird. Okay, that, well, that makes sense. Okay, they were either written by uh, one of their in-house uh, writers or they brought in someone else. I think Mark Martin was in... in in this 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 era, mm-hmm. and we're going to cover those issues eventually. But we really want to knock out the main canon of Volume One before we start backfilling with these weird side stories. Basically, f- skipping the filler. Skipping the filler. Yeah, absolutely. Now, there's some arguments could be made that there's some filler in these seven issues. Uh, that I I can agree with that. <laughs> uh, we'll get to that in a moment, folks. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's that, that's what we're going to cover today. And if I'm being honest, this is my least favorite run of the original like mirage comics really it really is yeah it like there's some good stuff in it mm-hmm. but for the most part i just don't like it so now this is my first time actually reading these really yeah because you know remember i i didn't really get into the comics back then mm-hmm. and i didn't really know what order i needed to go in and stuff like that because i didn't actively seek it out yeah um then i acquired a a collection um of turtles books um but those were mainly for my collection and to get graded and (laughs) sealed and signed and all that other great stuff um so this i've actually thoroughly enjoyed um Going you know, back? This ride, yeah. I have some okay. nitpicks. Oh, but, uh, Jeff with know, nitpicks? Yeah. I didn't a, know you had, like, had those. We're flipping the script tonight, folks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to be, woohoo, everything's great. <laughs> and Jeff's like, going to be like, no. This is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> read a book. <laughs> uh, and we did. We read yes. all seven of these uh, in the past two weeks. Um, and now there's a little bit of something that we need to kind of cover before we do this is mm-hmm. where... Prior, all of the books that we've covered, everything before number 12, they were basically co-creations of Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Mm -hmm. They 
wrote and drew all of them. Around this time is where like turtles kind of blew up. Yeah, turtles mania began. And turtles mania began, and they were signing deals for the TV show. They were producing uh, all kinds of side content with other creators. They were toys. They were yeah. They were licensing toys. They were they, they were basically building their empire. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't always have time to sit down and write books. And I know you read it in in this little collection that I let you borrow. Mm-hmm. I read it on digital scans of the original comics. Okay, and all of the digital scans that I read not only included the, the book, but it also included all the supplemental material, mm-hmm. like any kind of uh, annotations written by Eastman and Laird in the original floppy. Okay? So, and, and like, in it, there's a lot of just subtext that you don't really get looking back in these, these collections. Like, mm-hmm. they had a whole one-page uh, rundown of why are Mirage books always late? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, why? Why are they late? And uh, why have we only created twenty books in you know five years? Welcome to the world of independent comics. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and they're very honest. They 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 put it on Front Street. They're like, we got a lot of stuff to do, and we're just two dudes. Mm-hmm. Sure, we've hired all these other guys who are talented, and we love them, and you know their work is coming. But this is a big deal. You know, turtles are now a big deal and mm-hmm. we're sorry that there's a delay, but we want to give you the best product possible. Uh, also during this time, they decided to lighten their workload or to, to, to make their workload easier mm-hmm. by for a, a four issue stretch. They take turns. So like number 12 is just Peter Laird drawn and written by Peter Laird. Number 14 Written by Kevin Eastman. Actually, stories and pencils is what this says. Story and pencils by Kevin Eastman. Hmm. Inks by Kevin Eastman and Eric Talbot. Peter Laird had nothing to do with 14. Just like Eastman had nothing to do with 12 or 15. 15 is also just a Laird uh, joint. Mm -hmm. So for that stretch, it was basically a one-man show. Of course, they had their, you know people assisting them, mm-hmm. you know, doing like inking and lettering and whatnot. Uh, but it's very interesting to see how the turtles exist without both creators at the helm. Agreed. Because the stories in the, the first four stories in this run, which is all four of them before uh, city at war, not city at war, um, return, return to New, New York. York. They, they, they carry a weird tone shift between them. It's very weird. Yeah. It, it, it jumps back and forth like very abruptly from issue to issue. And when you know the backstory of it, it makes sense. So I, I think before we talk about them, we kind of have to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Uh, so let's just jump into it. Number 12, uh, number 12, as I said before, was written and drawn by Peter Laird. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. basically every book up until this one, mm-hmm. you know, with a few exceptions, you know, like the end of book three or the beginning of book three and part of the, you know, Cerebus book. This one, I did not like at all. I dig the art. Well, yeah. I really, I Laird's really art's it. always great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's... <sighs> so the, the, the turtles are living in Northampton still 
after being driven out of town by the Shredder and the Foot Clan in the previous issue. And they're just kind of chilling. They're having a picnic when a dude comes busting through the bushes, running away. Okay. Uh, after calming him down, threatening to, to, to beat him up, you find out that we find out that he is a nuclear physicist who was forced by basically a right wing, like group of nut jobs. That sounds, yeah, that's about right to build a nuke for them so they can speed up the cold war. Now, prior to this book, all of the issue, all the problems the turtles had to, uh, handle were kind of local, you know, they were friendly neighborhood turtles. Yeah. Just the pitch that they have to disarm a nuke <laughs> kind of turned me off from the start. Yeah. I, I don't get it, man. I'm yeah. like, there's so much they could have done. Like this is the, this is the book that we, we already talked about the episode that was kind of, yeah. The monster hunter, the monster hunter thing episode. It's yeah. very different. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's only loosely based on it, mm-hmm. but like this one, they're hunting down this, this nuke guy mm-hmm. to basically kill him. So he doesn't tell anyone. So the turtles have to protect him. Dude gets shot. And so the, the turtles take it upon themselves to track down the, the militia, mm-hmm. disarm the nuke, which apparently Donatello knows how to do now. We have a nugget. A nugget. Chet has fallen on hard times. Oh, no. Where's he, Chet this he's time? He's joined the militia. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how often Chet shows up. Shows up a lot. And the, uh, the head militia guy is named Skunk. S- no. It's not Skunk. It's skunk. 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 He looks like Carl Weathers. And yeah, like, yeah. What? And he has a white stripe down his down his hair. Yeah. Like a skunk. Yeah. But his name is Skunk. Yeah. It, it I I really don't like this issue at all. What I do really like is a lot of the the splash pages like the big full like the one of the turtles tracking like through the through the river or through mm-hmm. the lake. Donatello does disarm the nuke. The, the turtles do save the, 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 the scientist guy. And he, he disarms it by basically taking out the plutonium. He's learning all kinds of new fantastic stuff. For them to go to Northampton and one of their first adventures be one where they're saving the world is backwards. You know, I, I, I think there might have been a good action movie on that weekend. It's it's very possible, you know, and it's like, oh, that's an idea. Um, you know. There's a couple things. There there are a couple of really cool like aspects to the story that, that I thought of when I was reading it. One turtles specific thing that I noticed is they had like an uh, an existential crisis, uh, like mid book where that where they were basically like, let's call the cops. This isn't our job. Yeah, let's call the cops. And Splinter was like, normally I would say yeah. But this is kind of a big deal. We need to handle it right now. Uh, and, and so it's one of the first times they've shown the turtles really questioning whether they're heroes, like on purpose, mm-hmm. or heroes by accident. And in this book, they consciously make the decision to be a hero rather than let the, the authorities take care of it. 
it's one of the weaker stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and every time I read it, I'm just surprised at how much I don't like it. Because I've read it several times now. Because every every few years, I go through this whole run and just kind of you know dig my dig dig my heels in. And every time I get to this one, I'm like, this is the this is the time it's going to resonate, and it never does. Yeah. But I do love you, uh, Peter Laird. This is that that's not a strike on you. Because we're about to talk about a Kevin Eastman issue that I don't like any more than this one. Oh. So are we ready to move on? Yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah. I, I dig this one. Oh, this one was... Okay. All right. This is issue 14. It is... It's called The Unmentionables. Uh, it's it's clearly a uh, an homage to The Untouchables. Which was uh, the late movie of the night. Issue 14 is written by Kevin Eastman. And I don't know if I've said this actually out loud on the podcast before i don't trust kevin eastman with a story to save my life or to save his life really at all like i love the guy he's done so much for turtles history and turtles lore and his presence in these like in the room when writers are writing obviously creates some sort of positive outcome mm-hmm. he but just given the reins he i i don't he can't drive a story hmm. and he's 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 proven that with these older issues and he's definitely proven it with the stuff that he's written for the idw series but that said at least the ones in this book are coherent i'll give it that okay in this one the turtles of course are still in northampton that's still a thing Casey is visiting an old town that he that him and his his cousin Sid used to go to. Good old Sid. Good old Sid. Back when they were kids, uh, it's near Northampton. Northampton. He's like, oh, let's go check out downtown or whatever. He gets there and walks right by Mirage Studios. Yes, he does. Which that's that's a nice little uh, nice little Easter egg there. Yeah. And he goes to this place called Louis. What is it? Variety. Louis something. Yeah. Yeah. And basically, something has been stolen off of the roof of the building. The sign says you can't beat our meat. <laughs> That's right. It's like a it's like a slaughterhouse. Like it's a, a meat market. Yeah, it's a meat market. That's really funny. I've actually seen one of those signs in real life. That's that's wonderful. I didn't catch that at first. It's revealed that on top of this meat market. Uh, was a bronze cow yeah. that Casey remembers fondly, and it's gone now. Uh, he reports it to the police. The police really don't seem to care. So he takes it upon himself to investigate it like he's a gumshoe. I'm getting a whole, like, um, was it the uh, the episode of the 80s cartoon where Donatello's narrating? Yes. Okay. That's, yeah, absolutely. Uh, obviously, with this being an Eastman story, he leans very heavily into Casey Jones because dude loves Casey Jones. Oh, yeah. Well, Casey's doing all the detective work trying to find out what happened to the cow. Right. So he's going pretty much all over town. Right, right. And then um, April overhears something going on in the diner that she's working at. And then so she runs into Casey later, tells him what she overheard. And so he goes back on his investigation. Oh, yeah. And Casey goes back and gets the turtles. I was like, hey, 
It's like, oh, yeah, y'all are the stars of this book. Yeah. <laughs> Come go, uh, with us. <laughs> we need you to snoop around in this guy's hotel room to see if there's any evidence, some incriminating evidence. Yeah, yeah. Breaking and entering. Mm-hmm. Which they, which I, they mention, right? They mention, hey, this is breaking and entering, right? Like they do. April very quickly gets kidnapped. Very quickly. Very quickly. They get into this, 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 what was it, like a dinner party? Yeah. And she immediately gets kidnapped uh, by the group of dudes who have the cow. <laughs> they have a cow. <laughs> <laughs> they have a cow. So the turtles end up in the wrong room because somebody miscounted. And they get tired of waiting, so they just <laughs> they steal Casey's truck. They steal Casey's truck to pursue April. Yeah, because they see her being kidnapped. That is correct. From the window, Casey overhears some dudes in the bathroom, and they all have to go track April down, which they're all getting ready to offer. Just like, hey, <laughs> I've got friends. They'll show up any minute, and of course they do in just spectacular action fashion. Yeah, yeah. That was a fun that, that like that was a fun scene where yeah. she's like, "I've got friends who are going to come here and beat you up." See, why don't you just point us out? I think she just did. Yep. Just jump right into the scene. They jump in, they and then they tie them all up. And they try to try to learn, "Hey, what what's what's up? Where's this cow? What's going on?" And we find out that the that the cow is actually made of gold. Mm. Those guys who had the cow were going to sell it to someone else. So they could save their Slo- what is it? Slovakian, Slovakian, Slovakian town or whatever. Yeah. Making the uh, the, the criminals a a a sympathetic character. Mm-hmm. Casey, of course, is lost. He has no idea where he's going. He stumbles upon a real cow. That's <laughs> just dumb. <laughs> like, oh, sorry, man. About to get shot. Yeah, so so they meet up with the gangsters that were going to buy the golden cow. And they pull the, 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 the covering off of the cow, and it's just rocks in the shape of a cow. So someone had the time and, and, and talent to craft a fake cow. Eh. It's falling apart for me, man. It is. We got them turtles in trench coats. Yeah. So as soon as it's revealed the cow is fake... The bad guys then drive their truck with the real gold cow in the back of it, and then there's a there's a hot pursuit. Casey's in a taxi going the other direction, sees the cow, has the taxi turn around, jumps on the cow, screams cowabunga while doing so. <laughs> I've got it! I have the great cow! It is pretty bad. It's so bad. Yeah. And then someone real, uh, then one of the gangsters reveals that he's been undercover for two years, mm-hmm. and he's arresting everyone. Choppers Wh- come in, yeah, the whole nine yards. Yeah, the, the turtles escape. April and Casey, they're like, yeah, we've been working the case since the cops wouldn't touch it, and uh, yeah, you're gonna just have, gonna have to let us not tell you who was working with us. Sorry, yeah, because that's how the cops work. And then at the end, we'll just file those missing people as the unmentionables. Yeah. This book sucks, Jeff. It's not very good. It's hands down the worst book we've read so far on this podcast. Yeah, I, I would say this is probably one of the worst issues. Yes. Like, it's got some cute stuff in it. I like that it's more down to earth than the previous book. Mm-hmm. The whole finding the bronze cow is a bit too ludicrous for me. Mm-hmm. Considering we just came off of, a, you know, the story of the turtles being banished. Yeah. 
out of New York City to land in Northampton and have to deal with this nonsense sucks. Yeah. Well, later in 2K3, they turn it into an episode called The Golden Puck. Okay. Yeah. I think that was way better. It, it By default, it has to be, right? Yeah. They weren't in gangster outfits, though. I told you that the uh, the books I, were, I was reading were um, mm-hmm. the originals, you know, with all the, the supplemental material. Yeah. And one of them had, uh, like, letters to the editor or, like, you know, turtle letters or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. And was it Turtle Tracks? No, those no. were in the Archie comics. Oh, okay. Um, but, like, the first four that they published in the back were, what happened to you guys? Why did those two books suck really bad? Really? <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Yeah, and they published them, which I give them credit, like, to to, to receive a negative, like, m- letter in the mail, have to type it back out, mm-hmm. and then publish it in the book, and it's straight up critiquing your abilities. That's really harsh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, it was wh- just a lot of pressure trying to come up with stuff. Uh, maybe. maybe. I don't, know. I don't know. I don't know. And these books were v- tremendously delayed. Yeah. Uh, like they were supposed to be coming out at like a once every two month clip and several times they were three, four months late. I would say, think about it like this. If you're being pulled in multiple different directions, you know, something's going to suffer, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I get it. I get it too. Yeah. I get it too. I, mean, we, I think we've all experienced stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I'm absolutely sure that that's why after issue number 21, Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman don't really touch the turtles again until issue like 48. Whoa! Yeah, like it's they've got guest writers for most of the run after that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so so I guess. Return to New York is like their big last hurrah before they take a break, right? Yeah. So let's jump to issue number 15. This one, of course, is a Peter Laird uh, joint. It uh, it starts off in a comic shop. But before we go in, okay, there's a cinema right next to the comic shop. Okay. Which is playing, now playing, uh, Vampire, Vampire Dinosaurs, Dinosaurs from Hell. <laughs> what? <laughs> I love it. I love just those terrible movie ideas, and it just carries <laughs> with them. I'd watch a movie called Vampire Dinosaurs. Heck yeah! Just, I'd, I'd, just for the I'd watch Chainsaw Cheerleaders, Karate Commandos versus Chainsaw Cheerleaders, or whatever it was, <laughs> whatever it was from the from the eighties cartoon, which I can't remember right now. But I'm like, I'll watch that. <laughs> uh, so, Casey, Mike, and Raph are at a local comic shop, and they're picking up copies of like daredevil puma blues which is a a mirage book i believe Mm -hmm. there's tons of nuggets here there's there's tons of nuggets like there's stuff in the back like there's an alien there's the enterprise there's batman batman there's a robocop and ed 209 x-men um and this is one you probably won't get but your hunter from the future it's mm-hmm. a cheesy like a like, oh, a, like okay. a like think thunder the barbarian mm-hmm. or Conan the barbarian in the future yeah there's there's all kinds of nuggets in the beginning of this book their trip to the comic shop quickly turns into an adventure when these robots come busting in through the through the windows and start attacking the patron and owner of the shop mm-hmm. which we cl- quickly find out are two superheroes uh, a dude named Metalhead, like a real short dude named Metalhead, mm-hmm. uh, and what was the other one? Silver or stainless steel Steve? Yeah, 
or Stainless Steve. He looks like an old guy you would buy comics from. Uh, very quickly after the attack of the robots, you find out that they're, they were sent there by a bad guy named Dr. Dome. Not Dr. Doom. We find out that these two dudes were in a superhero team a long time ago. And they had a bunch of... It was, it was basically like... It was a Justice League ripoff. Yeah. Uh, they were called Justice, Justice Force. Force. Yeah. yeah. Stainless Steve's, he, he, he presses a button on his 50s device, 50s looking device that's supposed to alert all of the other members of the Justice Force, which we will meet momentarily. And the Turtles, uh, having, you know, helped protect the comic shop, uh, are invited over. Uh, we learn that the other members are Zippy Lad, <laughs> who is basically a flash ripoff, who has, who's crippled now because he. Basically, him running fast wore his legs out, and now he has to use a wheelchair. But since he still has his superpower, his arms move quick, and he's able to roll fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a guy named... Mr. Elastic. He's, he's, he's Reed Richards. Yeah. Yeah, he's Reed Richards. He's, he's stretchy, but because he's old now, he goes limp when he sh- stretches sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but then there was like a Bernice... That they well, you don't find out about that tool. Uh, well, they mention her name. Yeah, yeah. Her her, her name is mentioned by the, the bad guy. Basically, they're all just pow, they're they're having a powwow at at that house, preparing for the inevitable attack uh, of Doctor Dome, which conveniently happens right right after they all meet each other. So Doctor Dome's minions show up and start tearing the house down, and there's some really good action sequences. Oh yeah, uh, some really good like individual cells. Of, of art. Typically, the writing is pretty good on these books, but Raphael jumping and just saying, it's violence time. Yeah, I don't, I didn't really. What's that about? I didn't really care for that. <laughs> it's violence time. Like, um, what? Yeah. Okay, so naturally, they fight all these dudes, and they're winning, they're winning, they're winning, they're winning, until... Dr. Dome shows up with a giant dome bot. Ooh, dum dum dum. The dome bot is uh, like the size of a tree. What is that? 20, about 15, 20 feet tall. The thing is, is th- this whole issue is like a buildup to this big climactic final battle with Dr. Dome. And then it's completely cut short because a character shows up that we don't know. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's a lady. She comes, smashes Dr. Dome's uh, dome bot and pulls him out and is basically just holding him up by the shirt. And this is all within like a three-page stretch. Yeah. So the the final battle with Dr. Dome was nothing. There's Literally like, nothing. Eh. Yeah. Uh, and we find out that he did all this to bring Bernice out of hiding. Uh, Bernie, Bernice being one of the former members of the... Uh, Justice Force. Of the Justice Force. And it's because he was in love with her. She was in love with someone else in the Justice Force. Uh, we find out that the Bernice that shows up is not Bernice that he's, <gasps> you know, in love with or familiar with. Turns out it's Bernice's daughter who has taken up the, the mantle mm-hmm. because she also has, you know, superpowers of her own. And she reveals that her mom died three years ago. Dr. Dome is basically a broken man at this point. Um, 
and in the oddest turn of events, Metalhead and Stainless Steve offer to let him live at their house. I guess so he's not lonely. After Ananda gives this like super positive like TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like, hey, you should totally stop being evil and a jerk. And he was like, you know what? You're right. I was like, wait, what? You're right. It doesn't happen that fit. Man, that's a good TED talk. It's a cute story. Yeah. I enjoyed it. They it's, turned it into a uh, episode of 2K3. They did. They did. Uh, I really like the idea of um, superhero, like elderly geriat- geriatric superheroes. Yeah. Like, w- what would Batman be if he was crippled and had to roll around? You know? Yeah. What would, you know, the Flash be if he broke his leg? You know? Mm. Uh, I don't know if the execution is great. Like the the, the story they end up ha- have playing out mm-hmm. is kind of anticlimactic. Climactic. Yeah. Uh, but conceptually speaking, it's wonderful. I mean, I really enjoyed it. It's like you know, knowing that superheroes exist in the same world as the turtles, and they're not the only characters in that. You know, the, the you know the mutations or whatever. Um, Kind of like when they did in two K three with like was it Silver Century? Yeah, well, and, and we've talked about that. Yeah, that bothers me. Yeah, I like that these guys are old and useless. Yeah, because then it's not one of those things where oh well, let me just call up Stainless Steve. Mm-hmm. You know, oh no, we have a Avengers level threat. Yeah, let's call up Metalhead. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Now we move on to the second Eastman book. Uh, in the run here. Uh, it's number 17. It's called Distractions. Which I really enjoyed this one, actually. Funny enough, I don't remember fo- being fond of this issue. This issue, mm-hmm. I go through pretty much the whole run every few years. And this time, when I read this one, it finally hit me. Yeah. What exactly this book was and what exactly it was trying to establish. Uh, because it doesn't make much sense. Mm-mm. It starts off, it's Michelangelo just in the middle of the woods. They just don't, like Samurai Jack. Yeah, they don't They don't tell us if it's another time period. It doesn't tell us the context of why he's alone. Uh, his brothers are missing. We never find out where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's clearly set in some alternate time frame or time dimension or something. And so it doesn't really make any sense... On like on the surface, yeah. uh, Michelangelo stumbles into basically what is a, a, a feud in what looks like they use yeah they use the phrase daimyo so it's it's so it's got to be ancient Japan yeah yeah like a, like a family feud and there was a, a girl who was betrothed to a jerk to a jerk and the jerk was coming to claim his bride she didn't want to marry him. Uh, like they do, like they do, <laughs> and it feels like they pulled inspiration from this uh, for the it, some some inspiration from this from the tur- third turtle. Third, oh, absolutely, absolutely. A- after reading this again, it, it was clear that there's there there's definitely some inspiration here. Uh, there's a lot of really good Michelangelo action, which it v- surprises me a lot that Kevin Eastman wrote a book starring Michelangelo. Yeah, because Raph is his favorite. Raph is by far his favorite. But it kind of makes sense when you get to the end, and we'll get to the end here in a few minutes. Yeah, yeah, and and the the reason that the marriage is so important to the to the son, to the to the guy uh, is because 
with the marriage, his clan would be claiming her clan's land. Yeah. Uh, and he's well, like, like they do. Yeah. He's like, Hey, if I can't, if I can't track her down, can't we just kill all of them? Yeah. And his very common. Yeah. Back then. So Mikey's on a quest. To Mikey's get her, on a quest to get her back, to get her back. Um, there's a dinosaur. Eventually. Later in the book, there's literally a dinosaur, which is at that point I was like, what is happening? What? What happens in this book? isn't important Mm -mm. at all and going over it almost feels like a waste of time because the last page establishes more about the michelangelo character Mm -hmm. than basically anything we've read so far about michelangelo right and that's what's important about this book Mm -hmm. you know ultimately they he does save the girl and he fights a dinosaur. Does some nice infiltrating into the um, fortress. Yeah, yeah. The art in this one is really good. Yeah. At times, there's some, there's some, there's some bunk panels, but there's mm-hmm. some really, really good panels in it. So it's revealed. Let's let's just jump to the end. Yeah, because th- th- that's the interesting part I want to talk about. It's revealed in the last two pages that the ent- this entire story was just a story being written by Michelangelo. And what this does is it establishes Michelangelo as the creative turtle. Yeah. You know, Donatello's smart, Leonardo leads, Raphael's angry. Michelangelo, in the Mirage run, was not established as the goofy one. Mm. He wasn't established as the, the, the partier or the pizza guy. He's the one with a heart mm-hmm. and the one who is an artist. And he's writing. And it's it's this is... Seeing this paints the Michelangelo character in a way that most people don't understand him. Most yeah. most people have never seen this side of Michelangelo. And I rather I rather like it. Do you want to hear something bonkers yes. about this book? Yes, I do. In the annotations, uh, in the the um, the IDW Ultimate Collection, mm-hmm. they ask each creator, you know, Peter uh, Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman about their experience writing or producing the book. Peter Laird straight up came out and said, until you asked me to do this commentary, I had never actually read all the way through this book. Oh, wow. Yeah. Peter Laird had never read this book before, mm-hmm. which is insane. She was absolutely insane. Cause you would think they would read everything they did. Yeah. If anything, just to prove it, but he, yeah, he admits to never having read it. So that's just that's bonkers to me. Uh, a lot of the, the art in this one, while this is a Kevin Eastman written book, the art was actually done by Eric Talbot. I do like Talbot. That is that is why it looks so much different than anything else that we've seen so far. Sadly, the only reason I like that book is because of what they do with Michelangelo. All right, let's jump to really the meat and potatoes of this. Return to to New York starts with book nineteen. Ninth, no, nineteen, nineteen, no, Nine, it's like that nine Nintendo, nine Nintendo. Yes. It's the nine Nintendo. Book nineteen. Uh, we open up with Raphael just kind of chilling in the sewer. Yeah, it looks like he's <laughs> just like it looks knocked out. Like he does. It's a yeah. big, huge splash page. And then we cut back to Northampton. The turtles are, of course, uh, training, and Raphael 
basically just loses it. He's like, worst case of cabin fever. He's like, I'm tired of being here. Why are we still here? It's been a year. We need to get back to New York and handle our business. Wait a minute now. See, I didn't know it was a year that they had been there. That's really cool. I mean, I read it, but I was like, whoa. Okay. That's a really freaking long time. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a very long time. You could have had way more adventures. <laughs> kind of. Tell, tell me if I'm wrong, but this outburst by Raphael leads to really the first Leo Raph encounter, like fight. Yeah. That we've seen on paper. Like a really. In, in, the, in the Mirage Run. It's a really draw out just raw yeah um and 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 the reason i say that is because that is a character trait that permeates the entire series yeah regardless of what iteration you're reading and realizing that this was the first time they did it in mirage really this carried a lot of weight when i read it the other day it did i mean it really it really does but I'm going to stop before we move any farther because I I, I, I do want to point out the tonal shift here. Mm-hmm. The the four books we've already talked about, they're kind of light, they're kind of non-committal. They're just hey, the turtles are here. They're dealing with some stuff, but they're not. There's no emotional growth. There's no uh, talking about having to deal with the you know the shredder in the future. There's no mention of the Foot Clan. Yeah. Shifting directly back into, like, basically regular canon mode mm-hmm. is jarring when this book starts. It is. It's pretty heavy. Yeah. Like, the, the, the book reminds me of where they left off with book 11, which is good because that's a better run of books. It's a feeling of relief that they're back to normal. You know, it, it, re, it reiterates how disappointing the four books before it are. Uh, because cause this one was drawn by Lawson did, did this book and it doesn't look like anything he does. Like this does not look like a Lawson drawn book. It looks a lot like layered style. Yes. Yes. He's clearly trying to emulate the Eastman and layered like brand and he does a really good job of it. And, it, and, and it, this is something that he had to do later when they did uh, city at war because he drew all of city at war except for book 50 which I can't wait to get to that. Yeah, yeah. Leonardo and Raphael immediately go at it. Leo, Raph wants to go back to town, take care of business with the Shredder. Leo says, we're not ready. We're not ready. I will tell you when we're ready. I am the leader. Raphael's like, well, then maybe you're not a good leader. And they legit fight, like straight up fight. Raph ends up throwing Leo through a wall. Mm-hmm. And there's a good what is this five six possibly seven pages where there's no more than a sentence of dialogue per page yeah in <laughs> which it, helped out rating <laughs> it really did um but in like in this is the version of eastman and laird that i like yeah. they're not in a hurry to tell this story yeah no, they really, they really enjoy that yeah they, they like they want to take their time show the entire fight Mm-hmm. They want to draw out all of these panels showing exactly the frustration and the anger that they have towards each other. It's been a year. It's yeah. It's pretty built up. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So at the end of the fight, Raph wins it and decides, I'm leaving and there's nothing you can do about it. And he does. And that's where it basically cuts back to where the book started. 
mm-hmm. Raph in the sewers, just kind of chilling uh, when he discovers the Foot Clan. And he follows them, and he follows them some more, beats some up, kills some. I mean, Raphael does a lot of murdering. Like, this whole first book, like, book 19 is 80% fighting. It's really good. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, God, it's wonderful. And we get some nice big splash pages, and then we get some big panels. Yeah, there's some big panels, some um, some offset panels. I like big panels, Sergio, and I <laughs> cannot lie. <laughs> I swear, so many wordless pages in this book. I love it. Yeah. And then the big reveal at the end, which is one of my favorite reveals. There is a Triceraton in the sewers of New York City. And they don't explain it in this book Mm-mm. at all. They they give zero context. Basically, Raph is sitting in their old lair with a Triceraton, and he's waiting for his brothers to sh- brothers to show up. They do, and he says, I figured you would come back here. I've got a plan, and I've got help. And that's when it's revealed that there's a Triceraton that they have to deal with. And the reveal's on a beautiful big splash page, too. Yes. Just a two-page splash page. It's, yeah. it's wonderful. So, that's book 19. Book 20, we learn exactly what is going on. Uh, so it opens with a huge, again, two-page splash of Zog's head. And then Zog is kind of just muttering. Speak, speaking that gibberish. He's, he's basically just speaking in tongues. And he'll... Mo- um, they're, you know, making their way through the sewers, obviously trying to find the Foot Clan. But Zog is muttering incoherent military speak. Because he is obviously a Triceraton warrior, and not used to Earth's atmosphere. Well, they explain. They, yeah, they they, they, yeah. they end up in this book explaining that the reason he's muttering like that is because every breath he takes is melting his brain, and he has been on Earth for a year, for at least a year, because that's when the 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 Triceraton problem happened mm-hmm. at the Utrams at TCRI. Yeah. So he's been breathing Earth air for a year and slowly losing his mind because of it. And that's how Raphael was able to convince him, oh, hey, no, I'm your commander, and we're on a mission. You need to come with me. Mm-hmm. And he's basically just used as a tool, which is sad and marvelous. Yes. You know, because... It's, it's a slap and a tickle. <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, because... Because you love the big guy. You know he's going to die. Yeah. He's going to die whether they win or lose because he's too far gone to survive. You might as well give him a purpose yeah. in his last, you know, in his last days. And, and that's what they're, what they've done. You know, on one hand, it could seem cruel to basically take advantage of a dying Triceraton. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, what else is he going to do? This is true. And what they landed on was use him to infiltrate the foot headquarters. Which is basically what this, what, what book 20 is, uh, is them planning on getting into the headquarters to take care of the, the Shredder or the return of the Shredder. Mm-hmm. The returned Shredder? Mm-hmm. Shredder 2.0? Yeah. They work their way in. A, a lot of this book is the process of breaking into the foot headquarters. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some cool 3D diagrams that, that Donatello pulls up. Uh, there's some really 
really good art. It, this is Lawson at his best. Oh, uh, I agree. I've never really been a huge fan of his his art when he wants his art to look like his art. Mm-hmm. But this like approximation of Eastman and Laird that he's doing, it's wonderful. Yeah, I really enjoy it's it. Wonderful in this book, or in, in in this whole in all three of these. Uh, so we could we could go through and break down the intimate details of all of the different sneak attacks that they have and all the different ways that they infiltrate here and infiltrate there. Uh, honestly, if we were to do that, we would be doing the listener a disservice. Yes. Because these books are widely available. Mm-hmm. You can buy them right now at amazon.com and not even pay a premium. Like the, 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 the reprints are out there. Mm-hmm. I strongly suggest you pick them up. Yes. Because because I I don't even want to describe how they're getting in because it's it's a treat. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the 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 point is that they use Zog to get into the foot headquarters. They do it successfully. They do it very flash flashily, flashily. Very flashy. Uh, yeah, it's very flashy how they do it. Yeah. All the while, uh, Zog is talking about how he's doing it for the Triceraton Republic. And the turtles throw out lines of dialogue to to uh, reinforce his mindset. Yeah, you know it's 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 almost like you're visiting an, an elderly person at a a, a nursing home, and yeah. they're talking about how they saw the game last week, and they're describing a baseball game from 1942. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, "What are you talking about?" You say, "I know the Yankees did great, didn't they?" Yeah, you know, you just kind of lean into it, let it happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, the leaning into it is murdering a bunch of dudes. But hey, you lean into it. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the big reveal at the end of this book, which leads directly into number 21, is the final page where they show the mutant shredders. Really ugly ones. Yes, right as they find the mutant shredders, Zog dies. He's killed by what it looks like is yeah. He's killed by the mutant shredders. They they, they get into the room. The the three oddly shaped and oddly mutated shredders kill Zog, and they have successfully gotten into the building. Now it's getting past these you know the, these last few enemies. It's very sad. It is very sad. But he died a hero's death. He did. Now I complained about the the, the mutant shredders back when we talked about the TV show mm-hmm. because it didn't fit the story they were telling in the TV show. Yes. I think it does fit. It's silly, but it does fit the story they're telling here, but not in the show. No, not in the show. Cause it was, <sighs> the elements were too far removed cause Zog didn't show up in the show until like maybe two or three seasons later mm-hmm. or something like that. Like mean, season three yeah. or four. And I was like, wait, what? But it did come back into play. Mm-hmm. They just took them a while to stretch it out. The reason the Shredders make sense in this story is because you have to get to the return of the Shredder and the turn, return of the Shredder being, spoiler alert, Worm Shredder. Yeah. You know? Like, you have to get there. Like, and wait, to get there, you... Like, wait, what? Yeah, you go through these three different iterations of the Shredder to get there. Uh, at some point during the fight, Raphael leaves 
He's like, like he do, like he does. Yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of his his <laughs> mo. Uh, he leaves to go find the shredder, shredder, and it, it immediately Leo's like, "No, don't. We have to do this as a team. It only works if we're a team." Yeah, but before that, Leo chops off one of the the uh, forearmed dude, forearmed shredder's arms. Seeing the worms, like what? Oh yeah. He's like, what? What? What are? What are we dealing with? Like, he, at this at this point, he's, it's really confusing. The basically the, the the way the story turns out is Raph comes ends up back in the same room with Michelangelo and Donatello and have to assist them because they're basically cornered by the 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 entire army and Leonardo has to fight one on one the Shredder. So we we get basically what has been building up since issue one, Mm -hmm. a final showdown with Leo and the shredder, Mm -hmm. not a showdown where all four of them are fighting. Mm -mm. It's just Leo. And, but of course, before the fight, there has to be the, the explanation. It's like, how is this? How does this happen? Didn't we kill you already? Or didn't you die already by that thermite grenade or whatever it was? Mm -hmm. And so, Shredder goes into the bad guy monologue that we're so familiar with in every single bad guy story. Yeah. And he basically says that it's worms. Like, what? I'm worms. What? The, the, the foot clan in all of their infinite knowledge and weird rituals, uh, fed his original body to some worms who learned basically the DNA of the original shredder. And as they ate more, the more they learned. And the previous three shredders that we saw were the first three, basically rough drafts. Huh? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just what? Yeah. Yeah. Like they they, they don't, it's very possible they're mutant worms because this is a world with, you know, mutagen, um, but they do not go into where the worms came from or how or how exactly they work. Mm. But all of these shredders are just colonies of worms. And because they fed on the original body of the shredder, they have the memories of the original shredder. They have the experiences and the knowledge and the 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 body of the shredder. It's it is the shredder, but it's not the shredder. That's nasty. It is. It's real gross and real weird, and it's something that I've never seen in any other piece of fiction. I don't think I want to see that again. No, well, no, I'm fine with seeing it again. It's just when you tell a resurrection story or you tell a story of, you know, this person returned from the dead or this oh, is he- a th- this is a mutant. Usually, you couch it in some sort of recognizable like st- story, uh, like some story archetype. You know, like, oh, this per we're able to do this because you understand this other stuff has happened in other fiction mm-hmm. and we're using that same trope in this. They kind of invented their own trope. OK, I'll give it that. It doesn't make much sense. And it's real gross and it's not fully explained, which I think makes it work best mm-hmm. if they try to explain it any more than they already did. I think it might have ruined it. Yeah. Uh, so. So, yeah, we have a worm shredder. And as he's telling the story, he's systematically taking his his uh, his clothes off 
to where oh hey now come on hey it's, you they have to have the like the full page reveal of worm shredder yeah and but he doesn't look like a worm yes he does like you can see, if you look closely on his skin it, he almost looks like a freddy krueger version of the shredder ooh yeah, he is from many one is what he is. He's a pluribus shredder. Ugh. Yeah. So that's who Leo has to fight, which is cool and weird mm-hmm. and cool. Yeah. Uh, the other three turtles are still trying to dispatch of uh, the rest of the foot uh, ninjas, which are now using guns. Yeah, they're using guns. Like what? Ninja guns. Eh. Don't see them coming. No, that's not true. Well, I mean, no, that is true. No, that is true, yeah. But, um, yeah, that was weird. It was weird, but it was expected. It's the foot, man. Oh, I mean, Nothing's off the limits to the foot. The rest of the book is basically cutting back and forth between the two battles. Very little dialogue, especially in, especially in the, the Shredder-Leo fight. There's no dialogue. There's a lot of... of, of, of quick cut action mm-hmm. you know just two just 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 two people fighting just two people fighting for eight nine pages with the exciting climax leo decapitates the shredder uh this of course we talked last episode about him doing that in in in, in the cartoon mm-hmm. which was a significant thing yeah here with it being a, a darker more mature story they're telling mm-hmm. it's not as surprising or right as uh odd because ninjas kill because ninjas kill that does not diminish the effect that it has though like it, the, the 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 page here is stunning it really they is. dedicated a two-page splash to just cutting the shredder's head off I, and it doesn't I, look even it, it doesn't even look blatantly obvious no, there's just just a white line. Yeah, it's not like, hey, here's some gushing blood coming out of the neck meat. You know, that's it's such a clean cut. It's a very clean cut that his head hasn't even fallen off yet. Yeah, yeah. Then there's immediately an explosion <laughs> uh, in the other battle uh, with the th- the other three turtles and, and the foot. The explosion plays out, and the issue ends with the reveal that the shredder's dead again, and they burn his body. Yeah, in what I believe is the Hudson River. And nobody will notice. I don't know. <laughs> right. They burn his body right out, like, off the shore of Liberty Island. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that does it. So is that the last that we've seen of the Shredder? Do you want the real answer? Eh, nah. Okay. Nah. I'll, I'll wait. Stay okay. tuned, kids. <laughs> oh. Okay. I want to talk about how Easton and Laird tell stories. Okay. At, at their best, they're methodical, mm-hmm. they're deliberate, and grand mm-hmm. it's 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 a very epic epically laid out uh a lot of widescreen panels a lot of deliberate panels like they deal in subtlety really well mm-hmm. at their worst they're hokey and i don't want to read it right but return to new york is vintage eastman and laird even though it wasn't drawn by them mm-hmm. it was clearly laid out by them they they knew where they wanted the panels to be and what they wanted to have drawn. Mm-hmm. And we don't see that again for another 27 issues. The way they tell stories is what drew me to the Mirage comic. Mm-hmm. You know, you read that first issue and it sets a tone. It sets a a style. It's, it's almost like a style Bible mm-hmm. for how the Mirage stories are told. And 
seeing that style evolve into what was issues 10 and the Leo micro mm. and then come back with a vengeance for return to New York makes that all of that feel like an arc. Yeah. You know, and with the movie coming very shortly after that, the like return to New York was, was released. Return to New York was 89. Yeah. Turtles movie was 90. Yeah. So there obviously was a lot of overlap with, we told this story last year. We really liked it. Can we adapt some of this into the story, into the movie? There's not that much of it, Mm-mm. but what they did adapt was the return from Northampton. Yeah. Uh, what did you think about this run? I mean, I enjoyed it. Um, like I said, you know, the, the, you know, the two, the two slog issues. And then, <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's some enjoyable, you know, moments throughout the, you know, the first two. And then, you know, when you get to the others, um, it's, I really enjoyed returning to New York. Um, yes. Returning to New York is, a, is wonderful. A lot. Um, and again, like reading these kind of for the first time, because I don't ever remember seeing like places that I went growing up as a kid, mm-hmm. any turtles books on the shelves. No, no. Like, like the, the, most of these were sold directly to comic shops and they were yeah. snapped up immediately. Yeah. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying this, this, this nice little journey <laughs> that we've been on. Getting, you know? getting your learn on. Yeah. And so it's uh it's, it's been enjoyable since the majority of my knowledge of Mirage has been 2K3. Yeah, through uh, the filter of 2K3. Cartoon, yeah. And um it's uh, it's interesting seeing you, seeing you experience the the roots of the things that you already adore so much. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and seeing, oh, that's how it was told originally. Oh, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's like the first movie piecing how many issues together this and that and then, mm-hmm. you know, and then coming back to, you know, 2K3 and then this and then so it's uh it's it's nice to have those parallels mm-hmm. uh, to pull from. And and you said it, Zog. Like Zog is not in the first season of the Ninja Turtles. Oh, the second. Or, well, or, no, no, no. He is. I think he might be in the second. I don't know. Yeah. But he, the, but the he's not in the first season of t- t- like two K three. But a lot of the story, like the Return to New York storyline, is. Mm-hmm. So for them to be able to to parse that out and distribute it differently in the TV show was like really cool. Yeah. The last thing I really wanted to say about, not necessarily this run of books, but this era of Eastman and Laird, uh, and it goes back to me reading the the actual, you know, scanned in floppies. Like, there was a page. They dedicated an entire page in, I believe, book 21 to basically complain about fans who were complaining. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this was right at the time where the TV show was blowing up. And there were two definitive, definitively different versions of the Ninja Turtles in the world. There was Goofy Turtles, Serious Turtles. Mm. And they would go to Comic-Cons, uh, or I guess, I don't know if they were called Comic-Cons back Just then. mini conventions. Mini yeah. conventions or whatever in, in the Northeast. And fans would come up to them, them and say, you know, I loved your book, but that TV show, it's just terrible. And it's ruined my love for the Turtles. And... Eastman and Laird were like, what? Why? Like, we're still making our book. Just read our book. Ignore the TV show. Yeah. And they did not understand the mindset of, you have ruined something that I love by making a TV show. Mm Mm-hmm. You know. Or the quote-unquote selling out. Selling out. Yeah. They use the word sell out in, 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 like, in the write-up. 
And obviously, they were going through a lot of a lot of that at the time, like so much so that they wrote a whole page about it in the book. Mm-hmm. And that had to inform a lot of where the book went. Mm-hmm. You know, they got all those letters saying, "Hey, why do you suck now? Hey, why is this book not any good?" And they lean into what they used to be, what what the book used to be, very heavily with Return to New York. Mm-hmm. All of that had to be on purpose. Yeah. I think so. Uh, because you can't let that type of criticism or that type of frustration with your fan base not affect the output. Mm-hmm. So, again, having a little snapshot of where they were in the grand T&T journey uh, really kind of framed this entire run of books in a different way that I, that I hadn't mm-hmm. thought to delve into. Hmm. It's cool. It is. What are we going to talk about next time, Jeff? Ooh. Is it is it the uh, is it the TMNT movie? No, it's not. Uh, I'm well. I'm like eighty percent sure it's not that. That's uh, you know what I am correct. We are talking about Nickelodeon season one part one. Ooh, or two K twelve. So that's what we're going to cover next time, and we've got we've got some really exciting stuff coming up. I don't want to announce anything. Ooh, uh, but we do have some really exciting stuff coming up. Also, I, I, I plan on having some some supplemental material mm-hmm. um, over on Reality Breached. This will be an, this is an, an announcement that I can feel comfortable announcing. Ooh. With issue one hundred dropping, uh, I am going to partner with, or we are going to partner with the podcast discussing comics to talk about the IDW one hundred. Oh wow! Uh, Kyle from Discussion Comics is actually going to host Reality Breached. And we're going to talk through the history of Ninja Turtles in comics. Uh, and that'll drop probably sometime in December. Oh, wow. Will I be a part of that? No, actually. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm left out. <laughs> I'm being replaced. You're not being replaced. Oh, no. I'm I, being... Um, benched. I uh, benched? Yes, I'm being there benched. There you go. You're, no, because this... I, I was careful. Like, this isn't a Shellheads episode. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely not a Shellheads episode. It is a... Uh, it is a reality breached episode. Where is this going to be so I can just crash it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I might post it on the Shellheads feed just yeah. just uh, like for a week. Let's go that- show up. What it do? <laughs> <laughs> but we have other exciting Shellhead stuff coming up, Jeff. We that do. you're going to 100 percent be a part we of. We do, but calm down, uh, Jeff. Where can we find you when you're not crashing podcasts? As always, Sergio, you can find me at the Warp Zone Arcade in uh, the Brandon Crossgates area, right down from the Kroger's still. Um, you know, we have uh, arcade cabinets, uh, we host birthday parties, uh, tournaments like Smash Brothers. We're working on some other ideas uh, for tournaments, maybe. Smash is really popular. Mm-hmm. Always getting, uh, trying to get some new uh, games for the Neo Geo cabinet. Cool. Like Metal cool. Slug, Fatal Fury, King of Fighters. King of Fighters is big right now. Yes, with, it is. With Terry, Terry Terry Bogard. Yep, joining. And I just got a new I just got a new um, Neo Geo game in the mail, so I got to clean that bad boy up. Cool. And um, yeah, y'all come out, check us out. Four hundred plus games. Uh, we're always up to something. Uh, we've got you know, just about every week we're doing something. So yeah, um, yeah. This 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 weekend is Star Wars weekend. Yes, I'm very so. excited. So cool stuff. All right. We'll tune in next time. It's been fun, but I'm Sergio. I'm Jeff. And we're Shellheads.
Shellheads. Shellheads, shellheads, shellheads. Don't miss an episode of the Shellheads podcast. Visit realitybreach.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you.